0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Actors are no strangers to making choices. Every time we step onto the stage or into an audition room, we are faced with decisions to make. What character traits to emphasize, how to relate to others in the scene. Why is this story being told? These choices can make or break a performance or audition. But the choices that actors make don't end when we leave the stage or audition room. They extend far beyond our professional lives and into our personal responsibilities as well. Actors are constantly juggling the demands of a career with personal priorities, always having to strike a balance between our craft and our private lives. Sometimes these choices can be incredibly difficult. Actors may be faced with the choice between pursuing our dreams or just making rent between accepting a big role or spending more time with family, or between living in New York or elsewhere.
1: Hi, I'm Corey Leger. I'm originally from Maine, but I live in the Salem, Massachusetts area now after a little stint in New York. And I'm an actor, a voiceover artist, a mom, a creative, and a coach
0: previous guest Michael Kushner loves to use the term multi-hyphenate to illustrate the many ways we can express our creative selves. Well, Corey Leger describes herself as a multi-passionate actor, having performed in television, film, theater, commercials, video games, audiobooks, and more. She's also a filmmaker and a coach, helping others to build thriving creative careers without having to sacrifice a fulfilling personal life in the process. Corey and I spoke earlier this year about a particular struggle she faced that actually led her into work as a voiceover artist, which she now balances with her other role of being a mother. But we start off today talking about back-to-back experiences she faced that made her question even pursuing a career in theater altogether.
1: It was such a long rehearsal process and so much drama for such a long period of time that I was like, I'm going to take a step back from theater for a little bit and lean more into this on-camera and voiceover world because at least that drama is very short-lived.
0: Welcome and thank you for joining me for another episode here on Why I'll Never Make It an award-winning theater podcast hosted by yours truly, Patrick Oliver Jones, an actor and singer for more than 30 years. Every other week I talk with fellow creatives who bring us stories from their own life of personal struggles and professional hardships with lessons we can all learn from. You can follow Why I'll Never Make It on Instagram at winmepodcast, where you can subscribe, donate, and learn more about previous guests. Again, that's Instagram at winmepodcast. And stick around at the end of the episode where I share a listener comment and review. Welcome, Corey. It is so, so nice to meet you, and I'm so glad that we're finally in touch and you're able to be on the podcast.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Now, you have not been doing this very long, but you've done a lot with your few years in this business.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's funny you say that, because for me, it feels like I've been in the industry forever, but I guess it's, you know, it's been less than a decade, so it hasn't been quite so long. 30 years is very impressive.
0: Now, you did come to New York at first, but then you eventually left. And so what was that little dip in your journey all about?
1: I lived in New York for six or seven years. Um, I went to school for acting, biology, and education, ironically. That is a great Um,
0: combination. Right?
1: (laughs) You never know. We just kind of covered all the bases. Um, So I went to school in the Massachusetts area, and then I moved to New York right after graduating because I knew that I wanted to pursue acting, and I love seasons, so it was New York over L.A., (laughs) Um, And then uh, we moved during the pandemic back to the Massachusetts area because as, you know, as the industry opened up and allowed people to expand where they were living and still be able to be active in the industry, it allowed us to get closer to family while still, you know, staying relevant in the industry and, and not being that far away. We're only four hours, so I can still hop back into the city when I need to.
0: Yeah, definitely if there is one silver lining that came out of COVID, especially for artists, I think it caused all of us to reevaluate where we were, what we wanted to do, how we could be an artist and what that even meant to us anymore. So I think we all kind of reevaluated not only our place in the industry, but our physical place and where we lived.
1: Yeah. It feels weird to like feel positive about something that happened because of the pandemic, but that is something that has made my dream life more achievable because I wanted to be close to family and and be more of a family person. But I knew I didn't want to give up anything that I had already achieved in my acting career. And, and COVID did give that opportunity to kind of meld those two visions for my
0: life. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, as we get into story number one, we're actually going to dip into some negative experiences. <laughs> as, as much as we artists, we love to perform, we love to act, we love to get into character. Sometimes it just doesn't go the way we want it to. And so you talk about having multiple back-to-back negative professional theater experiences that made you question your place in theater altogether. So talk to us about a couple of these experiences that you had.
1: So, I was super fortunate when I graduated and moved to New York that I had a lot of theater opportunities right away that kind of overlapped on each other and I just felt like I was on top of the world. Like I could not believe how, that I was in New York, living in New York, working in professional theater. I was it was a dream come true. Um, but <laughs> I had two back-to-back experiences with professional theater but not a lot of new work theater so um super low pay um which is fine that wasn't the issue at all but the first one was supposed to be a paid production it was a new work part of a festival and we had a series of events with everything from drama with the director who was also the playwright um who just was She let me the best way to describe this person is like they were like a 13 year old in a 60 year old's body like they were supposed to be the adult that was leading the charge and it was temper tantrum after temper tantrum after temper tantrum every rehearsal like the cast was keeping the show together. And the cast was the only reason I stayed, because they were phenomenal. And the story was really powerful. It was, you know, about um, the AIDS epidemic. And it was was a really impactful script. I remember reading it the first time and, and crying and just being so connected to the story. But the drama behind the scenes was like, Theater at its finest. I really wish we had just been recording the behind the scenes of this show because <laughs> it would have been more dramatic than the show that we actually put up. Um, our stage manager ended up quitting opening night.
0: <laughs> because of the director?
1: Um, Because of the director and because she thought nobody liked her because she was also a 13-year-old in a 60-year-old's body. They butted heads constantly The stage manager was also an actor in the show, which meant we had to completely like rewrite the script after opening night and take her character out, who was the only comedic relief in the show. So then all of a sudden the show became really heavy. We ran over our allotted time by like 20 minutes. And we all knew this was going to happen because we were running that long during rehearsals. And we kept being like, we need to trim it. We need to trim it. But the director writer would not like she couldn't part with any of it. And then and then the festival was like, uh, you cannot do that again, or we will kick you out. And we're like, okay. It was and then to top it all off. We never got paid for our work in the show at all. And when we approached the, when the cast approached the director about this she was like well you guys didn't raise the money and we were like um no that wasn't our job like that was your job and then she was like okay well let me send you like a crystal and good vibes and I was like no I'm good thanks like
0: did she actually send crystals
1: I didn't give her my address but I think some people
0: did <laughs> Oh my gosh. You know, I do find, I mean, this is like a worst case scenario, but I do find that it can be difficult to work with playwrights who are also the director. And as soon as I see that in a breakdown, I really think twice. I'm like, that could go one of two ways. Your way, the way that you hope it doesn't go, or the way where because they're the playwright and director, they can maneuver and work with you and collaborate in a way that just a director by themselves couldn't do. So, oh my gosh, that sounds like yeah. a crazy experience and it's festival work already. So you're already in this kind of, you know, fly by the seat of your pants. You want to just, you're kind of in the energy of all that. And so to be brought down by a crazy director. Oh
1: oh man. And and then I ran into the stage manager like years later at an event and Her memory of what happened versus my memory of what happened, like, polar opposites. She told me that I was rude to her and that I, like, me and the rest of the cast had, like, thrown her out of the production. And and I was like, no, you quit. Like, (laughs) what? And oh. I was—I remember specifically one rehearsal where she had a meltdown, and I sat in the hallway with her and was like, "You know, it's okay. Like, let's talk it through." Blah blah blah. And she specifically brought up that rehearsal and was like, "No one talked to me. You completely ignored me. The only person that talked to me was so and so, another cast member." And I was like, "No, I—I I was the yep. one sitting that in the me. hallway. Yep. Yep. That, that was.
0: was... <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my <laughs> okay,
1: whatever. It's fine." And so I had that experience and I was like, okay, you know, dust it off. It happens. Not every production is great. We've all had those moments, right? That was a particularly dramatic one, but we'll, we'll move on. My next production that I got cast in, we had a read through. It went great. Everyone was vibing. Also a Newark festival production. Most of the cast and our director and the writer went out after the reading I couldn't go out because I think i had work or something so I like said goodbye to everyone everyone went their own ways and then I didn't hear anything from them for four weeks and I was like um hi like what's going on? Because <laughs> we had we had our first read through quite a while before the festival. So I, you know, the first couple of weeks, I wasn't nervous because they were still working on the script and all of that. But then the radio silence, I was like, um, okay, something's going on. And like the cast started to email on the back end being like, has anybody heard anything? What's going on? Come to find out, the writer and director got in a huge tiff the night of the read-through, and the director quit. And the writer was scrambling to try to find a new director without any of us knowing. (laughs) Like, didn't tell anybody that this was happening. Tried to find somebody on the back end. She finally did find a new director. And that new director basically wanted to clean house, but didn't want to say they wanted to clean house. So they released a rehearsal schedule that intentionally conflicted with everybody's conflicts that they had put on their audition form. Wow. And I was like, and I had, I literally had two days that I had booked a a short film. So I was out of town for two days in our like eight week rehearsal process. And I was, you know, a large supporting character, but I was not the lead. And there was, when I was originally cast, they were like, no problem. Like we can totally accommodate that conflict. And I emailed and I was like, Hey, you know, I, I had this conflict. It's been on my form since auditions. Um, any chance we could just work around that? No, absolutely not. There's like, if you can't be there for those rehearsals, then you're out of the show. And I was like, okay. Like the first week of rehearsal, it wasn't even close to production. And I was like, I guess I'm out then. Cause like, I've already committed to this film and you clearly don't want me in this this show anymore and they literally recast everybody and I think there was one person that managed to like sneak through and stay in the cast and the writer reached out to me and she was devastated like devastated that the new director did this and I was just like okay these two things happened so back to back that I was like it's a lot of drama. Like a that lot of is. drama and a lot of time.
0: Well, and especially that both of them centered around that director role, which is, you know, which is the head of really any production in a theater yeah. especially because that's who you're looking to to kind of be the the rudder, the steering the ship, but if they if they're going off path, whoa, anything yeah. can happen. Right. But at the same time, obviously, you're not taking this personally. It's not like you're questioning your own abilities or who you are. You're more just thinking about the business in general.
1: Yeah. And I was just at that point, I had been doing both theater and on camera work and was starting to dabble in some voiceover work, too. And I think it was especially because of that first experience that I talked about. It was such a long rehearsal process and so much drama for such a long period of time that I was like, okay, if I get cast in like a film that has some drama, it's, you know, a few days to a couple weeks. If I get cast in a theater production that has that much drama, that's at least a month, more like two or longer, depending on how long the run is. I was like, I'm going to take a step back from theater for a little bit and lean more into this on-camera and voiceover world because at least that drama is, like, very short-lived if it does exist.
0: Now, how long had you been doing theater up until this point?
1: I mean, theater was my first love in acting, right? So I'd been doing theater since childhood for a very long time. And I still hold theater in a very, very dear place in my heart and I hope that someday I'll get back to it in uh, a more regular capacity because I I do love theater and there's nothing like being live in front of an audience and like that energy that's in the room um with you. I mean, it sounds so cliche, but it really is like magnetic. Um, but for where I was in my life and and still to this day where I am in my life, it's on the back burner for now.
0: Has this time away from theater helped you? It seems like that you know, you've you've recovered from the <laughs> from those experiences since then.
1: Yes, I've definitely recovered. I think at this point for me it's more as a mom and somebody who who does truly love on-camera and voiced acting as well. I just don't necessarily have the time for theater that I used to have when I was when i was younger and so i think at some point when my when my evenings and days open up a little bit more that's when i'll kind of jump back into theater but for now i i'm the i'm the person who goes to a show and then is like oh i really miss it i could have done that i could have been that you know that part and then i'm like maybe i should get back into theater for a little while and then another film comes along and i'm like oh no this is fun too
0: now, certainly for some, because COVID was one of those markers for a lot of people that there was their reason to leave theater. Maybe they wanted to do just something completely outside the arts or go in a different direction. But it can feel like whenever you pull away from something that was so important to you, something that you love, it can feel like either a failure on your part or it can feel like, oh, I'm giving up too soon. I'm quitting. I'm a quitter. Did any of those kind of thoughts go through your head?
1: You know... I think I'm really lucky in that they didn't because I didn't feel like for me, it had always been acting. It hadn't been theater. It had been all of the components of acting. I I never really felt like I was quitting. It more felt like I'm just shifting my focus for now to like a slightly different area of acting. And I can always go back and audition for theater when I want to. And if a production comes up that I'm excited about or interested in, and I have, you know, there have been a few projects along the way that I've played with. I'm not saying that I haven't done any theater since those experiences. I've done a couple little ones here and there and had a blast with it. I, like I remember the first time my husband saw me on stage, he was, cause we met on a film set, but he was like, wow, I've never seen like your energy on the stage was so different and fun and it was a comedy, so it was easy to, you know, to really get that energy going and and up. I think that I'm fortunate in the fact that I was able to recognize, you know, I'm not giving up on theater, I'm just shifting my acting focus for a little while.
0: Well, as we shift into story number two, this goes in a completely different direction because in 2016, you adopted a dog with severe separation anxiety that made it nearly impossible for you to leave your New York apartment for months. Now, the dog's name is Cooper. And did you know that Cooper had these issues when you adopted him?
1: No, we didn't. He was a relatively impulse, not impulsive adoption in the sense that us adopting a dog was impulsive, but we had met him two hours ago by the time we had adopted him. Like we went to the event, met him. He was adorable. We loved him. We basically brought him home from the adoption event.
0: What was this event?
1: It was just a, like. They're called Korean Canine Rescue. If you're in New York and you're looking to adopt a dog, I love them. They literally bring dogs over from Korea from like meat factories and um, kill shelters and stuff like that. So they host adoption events every now and then when they've got a bunch of dogs. And we had been trying to adopt a dog for a couple months and been going to these events and, you know, had trouble adopting just because the demand was so high. To adopt a dog that you're like in constant competition with people. And if you're not like aggressive about them going through your application, it gets lost in the pile and they don't ever process your application until the dog's already gone. So we had lost a couple dogs in that way because we had applied for them but had left. And then our application took four weeks to get through and the dog was already adopted by them and it was heartbreaking. So when we saw Cooper and we were like, he's friendly, he's a total sweetheart, he's adorable. And he clearly like he latched onto us and we latched onto him. We're like, okay, we're not leaving. Like we're gonna stay at this event and make sure that they call our references while we're here, I'm not leaving. I'm going to make sure they process our application. I'm gonna stand here for three hours. We went to lunch around the corner and came right back. And so we got him. And you know, you you always know with an adopted dog that there could be something, but we didn't have any idea that it was going to be this severe. She mentioned when she was dropping him off um the the volunteer that was working with us. She was like, yeah, you know, he might have a little like a little separation anxiety. He whined a little bit when I left the car and whatever. And I was like, okay, like, what dog likes being left alone in the car? That's fine. No, no. This is not what my dog had. <laughs> he would howl and scream and scratch at the door to the point that I was worried he was going to rip his nails off on the door. Just cry, cry, cry and would never settle down. Like would not settle if he was left alone. If somebody was there, he was great. The best dog ever, but he just could not be left alone. And I was like, oh no, we're going to get evicted. Like we live in an apartment building. We can't just let him cry all day. Like screaming and howling and never calming down.
0: And how old is Cooper at this point when you adopt him?
1: About a year, we think. During the adoption process, we were told he was one, two, and three years old. For like, okay, cool. <laughs> but the vet said he was about one. So we're going with the vet. So he was an adult dog, but still young. So fortunately, we were able to find all of these tools online to help dogs with separation anxiety, kind of learn to be comfortable. And we have all of these routines now that we have to go through and we leave the house, like we turn music on for him and we give him a Kong with peanut butter and like all these special things we have to do. But it took a long time for us to get him to the point where he was okay with us leaving without the crying, without the scratching, barking, all of that. But I had to quit one of my jobs to take care of Cooper as we were going through this process. Oh, wow. I was like, okay, I need to make money because I need to pay for my New York City apartment, (laughs) but I can't leave the house. And like I'm talking like months of training where I would leave and come back 30 seconds later or come back two minutes later just to remind him like – we leave, but we come back too. And it's okay. Like we got this.
0: I'm curious, was there any regret then in adopting Cooper? You know, as you had to go through this, you had to give up a job.
1: Luckily the job I had to give up wasn't an acting job. That would have, I think that would have made it a lot harder, but this is just a, you know, a regular day nannying job. And I was like, okay, I can, I had just accepted it like the day before. So I hadn't even started. I was like, I'm sorry, I can't do it anymore. There was regret for possible regret for like 24 hours. I called my husband, boyfriend at the time, crying because I had to skip acting class (laughs) because he wouldn't settle down. Uh, I was on my way to go to class. And that's when I figured out that he had this like horrible separation anxiety. And so I called him in tears and he was like, well, do you want to give him back? And I was like, no. Like, no, absolutely not. And so then it just became, okay, well, we're not giving him back. So now we need to problem solve. And no regret after that. I think I needed somebody to say that out loud so that I knew that that wasn't what I wanted. And that it was a problem that I was probably overinflating in my mind at the time that could be solved. And we just needed to find the solution.
0: But I mentioned there was still some frustration and a lot of tension and heartache that went through (laughs) getting Cooper over this. Oh,
1: 100%. 100%. And boyfriend at the time, now husband, had a full-time job that was like 10 to 12-hour days. So all of this fell on me. And I had a job, but more flexibility in my day-to-day. What do I do? (laughs) And so I leaned into voiceover because I had a microphone already and I was like, this is something I can do from home. So why not give it a shot? And in two weeks, I recorded my first demo from home on my like little microphone that I already had and had just been playing with for a bit. And... Booked my first job as a voiceover artist.
0: Well, that's a nice little start. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hard to complain about that. And I I really think it was just an example of trusting yourself and leaning into something fully and feeling like, okay, well, this is my option and this is my chance. And what's the worst that could happen? You know, the worst that can happen is nothing happens, which is where I am anyway. So I might as well give it a shot.
0: Yeah, I certainly know for for many actors, especially during COVID, that voiceovers podcasting became one of the main creative outlets. And while I have continued to grow this podcast, so I'm very grateful for that. I was definitely one of the unlucky ones that uh, couldn't seem to book any voiceover work <laughs> during that time. But it seems like that you kind of found the secret sauce. I mean, right from the very beginning, you know, for yourself and booking work, what do you think was the key to you finding success in voiceovers?
1: Well, first, I want to say my experience, very different than yours, because I entered not at a time when literally everybody was trying to get into voiceover. Yeah, you started a
0: little before, yes.
1: Yeah, be kind to yourself, because that was an incredibly competitive time to try to start a voiceover (laughs) career. But for me, I, I really do think it was the lack of fear around it. I almost didn't even really connect it. With my other acting work, I did in the sense that I knew it was, you know, I needed to have a character and like connection with the script and the content and my audience, but I didn't put any pressure on the auditions. It felt more like a really fun job in the sense that it was like, okay, well, this is like a, almost a game. I'm just going to submit and see what happens. And It is no reflection on my skill as an artist and my talent and all of these things that can feel so personal and so vulnerable. That disconnect almost helped propel the beginning of my voiceover career because I didn't hold myself back with the fear of what if it doesn't work? I just put it out there and was like, I'm I'm not going to make money sitting here anyway. So if I don't book anything, it doesn't really matter. I'm just giving this a shot and I'm new to this. And so it's okay for me to be new to this. And I just let myself learn without judgment. And I really do think that that willingness to just choose myself and move into this new venture without the pressure of immediate success actually led to early success.
0: Hmm. It's interesting that you that you talk about that lack of fear because that's something that I personally got from commercials. Commercials mm-hmm. are something that I don't take personally at all because I have done the stupidest and silliest things in commercial auditions, and they need someone to be a doctor, then you need to be a a firefighter, then you need to be wrestling something, then you need to just be shouting, screaming, falling off a bit. I mean, all the different things that you can do, commercials have it. And it's just these outlandish situations a lot of times. So I never take those personally because they're so short, they're 30 seconds. You know, as opposed to theater or other things that feels more personal. Voiceover started to become that as well. It it became something that, well, I'm I'm giving of myself. I'm getting into these characters. So when I didn't get it, I did take it a little personally. So I I think for me, there was still that fear of, oh my gosh, what if I sound stupid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's so true. And I see that a lot. You know, I also coach a lot of people who are interested in getting started in voiceover. And I see that a lot. It's like that that translation of the fear that you have in other acting work into voiceover can can make it more challenging to give a good delivery. And we, and we know that right from our other acting work too, like lean into the fear, lean into the vulnerability. But when those things get in your way, then that's when you hold yourself back and you don't have as much of a strong connection as you could. But it's so hard. How do you like teach yourself not? to be afraid right
0: and so how do you distinguish voiceovers from theater acting or film acting as far as that performance and delivery of the lines
1: you know at its like simplest form it's about where the audience is to you so in theater you know the audience could be anywhere from like 10 feet away to hundreds of feet away uh, when you're doing on camera work, depending on how close the shot is, the audience is, you know, really close to your face, like a few inches away to 10 feet away or more if it's a super wide shot. With voiceover, your audience is where the mic is. So it's closer. You just tailor your performance to how intimate that audience connection is. Not meaning that like you're always whispering or like in a sultry, like intimate voice, but just, you know, you don't want to overperform to a microphone because it's just not going to read, you know, they're right here with me. So we can just kind of keep things there. The other thing though, that I think is interesting is that there is, there's this belief, like false belief that it's just about your voice. And that's so not true. The number of times that I have gotten my full body into a character for voiceover, it's like I'm often like sweaty after doing voiceover stuff (laughs) because it's just so physical and like so involved. But you have to be careful not to touch anything. (laughs) Like you don't want to bump the mic or the table or anything. So it's like you're super physical, but like also hyper aware about where your body limits are so (laughs) that you don't pick up those sounds on the microphone. But yeah, I've, I've done. Several video games in voiceover and those tend to be really physical. There's a lot of dying in video games I've found, (laughs) or at least for my characters, there tends to be. Um, So it's very physical in the sense that you die in a lot of horrific ways, (laughs) which is Kind of fun.
0: well, yeah, yeah, that is the point of video games. you die and then they're able to press a B in return and you know they come back again and die all over again.
1: exactly in another horrible way.
0: <laughs> yes. Now, obviously with Voiceover, much like acting itself, there's TV, film, theater, commercials, you know these different aspects. Voiceover has its same, and you've brought up a couple. there there's commercials, but then also video game, but then also audiobook, narration. And so it sounds like that you still have to be aware of that audience, but also be aware of the kind of audience that is going to listen to it as well,
1: yeah, exactly. Just like just like commercial acting is different than like an indie drama is different than an you know an NBC comedy or a dark comedy. Like all of those things we tailor our performance to those types of roles or musical theater versus like a gritty experimental theater piece. Same with voiceover, knowing the genre that you're in and tailoring to the demands of that genre is also super important.
0: How would you say that voiceover has fulfilled you as an artist? You know, because it's just you behind a mic. You're really a solo artist at that point, even though, you know, you're working with a company or portraying different characters, but you're really just on your own working. Do you find that same fulfillment in playing these characters and voices?
1: That's a great question. Um, It's a different kind of fulfillment. I am definitely an extrovert. So I do miss the camaraderie of being in a cast, whether that be a theater cast or a film or television cast, when I'm doing a voiceover gig that is just me. But on the flip side of that, it's still acting. I still get to dive into a character. I still get the camaraderie of creating something with a team of people whether it be the director that I'm working with who's directing my voice performance the sound engineer who's recording it Um, all those people are creatives too and people who get to influence my performance and the story as a whole so it's it is a different kind of fulfillment but I love that as well
0: One of my favorite parts of talking with artists like Corey are the audition stories. I never know what guests are going to bring in, usually just one or two gems from the audition room, but Corey actually brought four of them for our conversation. And by the end of it, we were both laughing so much.
1: I'm holding the fret and like pushing random (laughs) strings and like (laughs) strumming non-chords. And I'm also not a strong singer, so I'm just like... (laughs) making something up with nothing. And I'm just sitting there like, I I can't believe this is happening right now. And they let me go for way longer than they should have. It was excruciating.
0: If you want to hear more audition stories, as well as get early access to full episodes with guests like Corey, then become a monthly or yearly subscriber to Why I'll Never Make It, for a few dollars a month, you not only support WinMe, but you'll also get extended ad-free conversations with guests you won't find anywhere else. Go to it.com and click subscribe or just look for the link in the show notes. Well, now on to story number three. And in December of 2020, you became a mother, soon to be... A mother of two. So yes. congratulations there. Thank you with that, you have faced the challenge of of honoring both your creative side, your creative needs, as well as being a present parent. So is it a matter of of balancing the two equally, or are you kind of having to figure out priorities and schedules on an ongoing basis?
1: You know, I think that becoming a mother has actually made me a better actor. and I really tried to remind myself of that and lean into it. I found that becoming a mom has given me access to this whole deep wealth of emotion and experience that I thought I had access to before, but I didn't. I didn't know until I had an actual, you know, living, breathing little baby in my arms. Uh, And it gave me a purpose to continue to pursue what I wanted in life as a creative, as an actor, because it wasn't just for me anymore. I needed to model for him that he could do this for his life too. And I'm I'm very fortunate because my husband and I are both freelancers. So we both work from home. We can figure out the logistics of like crazy creative life where, you know, he's a video editor and I'm an actor and we both like to direct together too. And so we find ways of helping each other make the scheduling work because we know that that creative component is so important to both of our lives. And it's important for us to show our children that they should follow those passions, that they should find ways to honor the things that they love in their life. I want to make sure that he knows that he can do that and that he's going to have our full support because he's seen us doing it for ourselves too.
0: I think it's so interesting because a lot of times when I hear about parents And justifiably so, the child then becomes the the focal point of their sometimes existence, but at least of the Mm day-to-day. Obviously, you want to keep this child alive. You want to keep them well, (laughs) healthy. You want them to turn into good people. Right. So, I mean, it becomes a, a big priority and a part of your life. But it's interesting to hear you say that having a child made you look at yourself and want to better, want to be more creative, want to pursue your own passions. And yeah. I think that that is a great way to balance both of those, to realize that this other person is so important in your life now, but that it doesn't take away from who you are and who you need to be. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful example of balancing those two.
1: Yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly what we're trying to do.
0: <laughs> and it sounds like that you have a good partner in your husband who's able to balance this too, because, you know, obviously there are single parents out there. My mother was a single parent growing up. So I certainly respect and know the, the hardship, but also mm. the, the passion determination that can come from a single parent. But having <laughs> the ability to have both of you there, I assume, gives you a little breathing room.
1: Yes, definitely. My my parents got divorced when I was young, so my my mom and dad both kind of did the single parent thing on their on and off weeks. And I remember they modeled this for me as well, but in a very different way. Both of my mom is an entrepreneur, um, owns her own real estate company, and my dad was an engineer. But like his passion for it was just so tangible, and so I got to watch both of my parents do that as well, where they modeled. Living their lives and loving what they were doing too, and even though it wasn't in the arts the way that I knew I wanted to direct my life, they still showed me that following the passion, following what you love, and that's I think that's why it was so important to me to make sure that I continued to model that for for my children, um, because it did have such an impact on me watching my my parents prioritize themselves, even when they were doing it alone.
0: You had mentioned that being a parent has made you a better performer, more well-rounded. How exactly has that shown up in the work that you've been doing?
1: I think, first of all, my brand, my roles that I'm drawn to has definitely changed. I was the, you know, 18 to play younger for so long, so long. I would be like, 25, 26 and going in for under 18 roles. And people would still ask me like, wait, you know, you have to be over 18 for this role, right? And I'm like, I am, I promise I'm just 4'11 and like have a young face and a high voice. I promise I'm over 18. And I wasn't connecting with those roles as much anymore for obvious reasons. I was, I was so much older than these characters, but this is the only way that people were seeing me just because of my My physical appearance. Um, But for whatever reason, after having a child, I just really leaned into like, you know what? My energy is not in those roles anymore. I'm not submitting for those. I'm not going out for them. I am so much more connected to characters who, and they don't have to be parents, but just that are older, that have life experience, that have people they care about and are more of a caregiver in some capacity or another. And that feels so much more aligned with who I am, the stories that I care about, the stories that I want to tell, the people I want to embody and help like spread their story and their message. And that has made a big difference in my connection to my work And my ability to say no and be selective about the types of projects that I want to be a part
0: of. And how do you think things will change personally and professionally with your second child? Or or do you think things will change much?
1: I feel more prepared this time around to get back to my creative self more quickly. I, you know, I can talk all about how becoming a mom... Really helped my creativity and gave me all this new depth. But if I'm being honest, the first few months of being a new mom was really challenging because I let that creativity go. I wasn't in acting class. I, a lot of my like regular creative practices that I had kind of fell away a little bit despite my best intentions because you're exhausted and you. Like, you know, you don't sleep, and it feels like your whole world exploded (laughs) to this whole new being. Um, This time around, I know what helped me reconnect. Eventually, the last time, and it took like six or seven months before I really was able to rediscover my creative self. Last time, and and find that connection again. I plan to do that from the beginning this time. I'm not taking a break from my regular, you know, I have regular acting class every week. I'm not taking a break. I'm gonna show up with little baby. You know, maybe I'll miss a week because I'm like in labor or in the hospital with a newborn. But my plan is to is to keep going and just, you know, keep those little touch points with my creative career and my creative expression so that this time around, I have that to feed my soul so that I'm a better parent for both of my kiddos moving forward.
0: Now, in just listening to you, your voice is still a young voice. You could easily, in a voiceover, be a teenager. Mm-hmm. But getting a casting director to see, well, no, I'm a mother of two now. Don't you realize I'm this <laughs> serious, sophisticated woman now? How has that journey been getting casting directors to see you <laughs> as you see yourself?
1: Well, I will say for voiceover, I definitely still play children all the time, and I have no problem with that. I find it really fun. Um, For whatever reason, voiceover is different. I play like preschool cats a lot for some reason. So I don't know. Lots of cats. I'm a dog person, but I play cats all the time. I don't know why. Um, And like when I was pregnant with my son, I was a seven-year-old in a video game. And everybody on the production side was like, this is so funny because our seven-year-old's pregnant. And I was like, okay, that's weird to say. <laughs> that's a sentence no one ever expected. Right. Um, <laughs> but for on-camera stuff, um, it's definitely been a process. I got new headshots that really kind of leaned more into that more maturity, like motherly teacher you like you know kindergarten teacher school counselor kind of vibe but it's still a learning curve i still you know i'll sign up for a workshop and get the sides for like an 18 year old and i'm like great <laughs> <laughs> but what i do try to do is bring some level of maturity that i you know that i have in my being now to our interactions in an appropriate way for the script but something that you know there are 18 year olds that are old souls you know there are ways of showing that you have that maturity in the way you take direction or the way that you present yourself in class or in the audition room or in a self tape all of those things and it's it's going to take time and it's it's definitely still a learning curve a learning process but I'm patient it's okay we'll get there
0: Lovely. Well, it has been such a joy to talk to you. I'm so glad that you reached out and you're on the podcast and and being able to share your experiences. This has been a great conversation with you.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for joining Corey and me today. And remember, you can get early access to full episodes by going to com and click subscribe. Or just look for the link in the show notes. But I never want finances to keep anyone from bonus content. So if a monthly or yearly subscription isn't possible for you, then please contact me at why I'll never make it at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to offer you a reduced price or even free subscription. Well, all right. Now let's get to this week's review. This one is from Yuki Reinhardt via YouTube. And she recently commented on the episode with Stephen Warner. He was the child actor from Lerner and Lowe's movie musical, "The Little Prince. Yuki says, "Thank you so much, Mr. Jones. This entire interview was wonderful. You did a fabulous job, and I enjoyed it very much." I absolutely loved the movie and I'd been looking for Mr. Warner for many years to find no information at all. But when I tried again yesterday, I came upon this. It was very nice to see how humble and cheerful of a man he had become and hear about all the behind the scenes stories. Well, thank you so much, Yuki, or should I say Ms. Yuki, (laughs) Mr. Jones, I still can't get used to that. But I, too, loved the movie musical, The Little Prince. And so to talk with the star of that film, Stephen Warner, it was a big thrill for me as well. I mean, he shared so many experiences and stories that I had never heard before. So I'm just very grateful that you found the interview on WinMe's YouTube channel and enjoyed it as much as I did. Well, that about does it for me. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and publishing this podcast, which is a production of WinMe Media, with Maria Clara Ribeiro as co-producer. Background music used in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions and John Bartman. And be sure to join me next time as we talk more about why I'll never make it.